It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Welcome aboard, and we hope you're staying well and safe. Thanks for taking the time to join us, and we have another great guest in store. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hi, good morning, Fred. And joining us this week is Grayson Brulte, innovation strategist and co-founder of Brulte & Company, focused on autonomous mobility and consulting. Thanks for being here with us, Grayson. Well, thank you very much for having me, Fred, and thank you, Alan. And Grayson, you're looking good. Nice to have you with us. Oh, thank you. I'm really enjoying the model train in the background. It's awesome. <laughs> Grayson, we'll be using one of your posts this week on Twitter as a, as a launch pad. You said, as the global auto industry prepares for a significant uptick in car sales, good news there, auto companies must completely rethink their autonomous mobility strategy. You can get into that for us. Sure. So if, if I'm a large traditional OEM, um, either from Europe, um, Europe or America, I have to look at the current situation of the world with COVID-19 and look at the habits of, I look at consumer credit, I look at con consumer spending, consumer sentiment and consumer savings. And then when you just talk to individuals and you see like a Harris poll where 70% of individuals came out recently and said that they feel like getting in a taxi is unsafe, 79% of those individuals felt like getting in a subway was unsafe. And if consumers have credit and, and they have cash, they're more inclined to buy a personal vehicle to go where they want um, to have their freedom. And as we start to come out of this COVID fog, you're seeing um, individuals are wanting to drive to destinations. Uh, the CFO of Marriott came out on the earnings call and said they're expecting a 50% uptick in their drive to resort destinations. And you're going to see that they're going there in an Uber or a Lyft will be very difficult because it's going to add on costs and you're going to want to go when you're going to want to go, you're not going to share it, and you want to ensure that the hygiene of that vehicle, because even though that Uber and Lyft have clearly stated that they're going to focus on hygiene, those vehicles are not owned by Uber or by Lyft. They're owned by individuals, and there's really going to be no way uh, to enforce those quality standards. And as, as we shift towards autonomy, uh, we saw the cruise origin where individuals are facing one another. We've seen the Zooks mock-ups where individuals face one another. In a post-COVID world, I feel that it's going to be very hard to convince an individual to, to one, to share a ride with another individual that they do not know, uh, and two, to face another individual. I think that as this whole uh, ecosystem around autonomy has built on, everything has to be shared, everything has to be shared. I've always said for a long time that consumers are going to want single occupancy rides, and that's where it's going to go. They're not going to want to share another vehicle with another person, that they are going to pay a higher premium to ride by themselves or to ride with family members or to ride with friends. They're not gonna to wanna to ride with complete strangers. And so if you built your whole business model around shared and the way that con the consumer behavior is changing, wh what do you do when the whole economics of your model is built ar around shared? And then with, if you look at shared in general, or if you're a, a large OEM that's building a program, such as Argo or Cruise, you're on a race to the bottom. You have no, uh, you have no impact uh, margins. You do, you do not have a brand that consumer says, I'm gonna pay, um, a, a premium for your service versus another service. You're going to have to go to zero and then you're going to open up the big Uber Lyft debate. How much are you going to subsidize to get that traffic? When you look at companies that are on the outside of uh, mobility and autonomy that do not live inside of 
the OEM automotive world, that they have brands that they can license them. If you look at Ferrari, for example, um, you know, car company out of Italy, 14.3% of their 2019 revenues was from licensing. And you're looking at data, uh, according to Bain and company that's coming out of Europe now where luxury hard goods sales are booming. So I'm looking for what is the non-traditional mobility brand that says, okay, we're going to license our brand to you, Acme Auto Autonomy. Um, you, we're going to design the interior. You're going to design the part that makes the vehicle drive. And then if you look at the consumer, we're going to say, okay, we're going to give you the opportunity to buy exclusive products in that. And I think that's where you're going to really see the, the margins expand. And it's going to, this race to zero is not going to be sustainable. But so uh, so let, 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 me, let me jump in here a little bit. Let me uh, see if I can, you know, I, uh, unfortunately, I'm on the shared end of the, of the spectrum uh, and, uh, and think that that's, of course, uh, very important because of, of affordability and, um, and uh, in some sense, efficiency, but, uh, but more on the affordability end. And if I look at, the, at, the, at what I think are the two markets, there are really two markets uh, for this, this kind of, uh, at least the driverless mobility, the mobility as a service, the mobility that's being offered by a service provider who is there looking to, um, to provide that mobility. They're really the, the two markets. One could be the, the higher end of the market that you very well described, uh, that in fact uh, says that, that instead of you doing it for yourself, I'm gonna chauffeur you. And certainly there's been a demand uh, for being chauffeured uh, since day one for the people that can afford it. And certainly one wants to, one wants to do that. And to, to be able to do that uh, efficiently, yes, you could afford a, uh, to put somebody in there to do it. But all of a sudden, if you, have a, if you have a thing do it, a computer do it, a machine do it, whose marginal cost is essentially zero as opposed, and, and it's almost not the, the cost of that, it's, it's, the, it's the trials and tribulations that you have to put up with with a chauffeur. You don't only have to pay him or her, you got to put up with them. Well, I'm putting it bluntly, but you, you know, there's a management problem. Whereas if it's an algorithm, man, you just sit there and write some code, boom, it, it goes and does it. It performs, it carries out your mission, whatever it is, the mission that you want to carry out, uh, you know, by a line of code that is replicable and all that stuff. So there's that end of the market, which you describe very well, uh, and so on. There's the other end of the market in which you, you know, you really want the affordability piece. You really want to deliver that same high qual high quality level of service to a much broader range of the of the population and, and really scale. Okay, you can decide to just be a Ferrari and sell ones or twosies, or you can decide to be a Yugo or I don't know who sells a bunch. Chevrolet, I, you, you, whatever you know where you know where I'm going with that. On the other hand, and in fact, the technology that drives all that stuff in the center serves them both. It just depends on what piece of pl plastic or thing you put around it. And you could have a varied fleet. You could send these guys that way. But talk to me. But if you're a publicly traded company yeah. with sh with shareholders. Yeah. How do you build a model around affordability with next to no margins that you can go convince your shareholders, especially now? But why should there be next to no margin? Because it's going to be, be in a race to zero. No, you're not necessarily in a race to zero. People are willing to pay for mobility. And in fact, the rides may be free anyway, because in fact, those that you bring the mobility to, 
either on the end or on the, the, the production end or the consuming end may be willing to pay you for this thing. So the revenue sources, I mean, I always use that, that elevator analogy business, you know, why? You, nobody pays for an elevator. But man, if you're on the 14th floor, you better, and your rent better be an elevator. Otherwise, nobody comes and visits you, right? I mean, so horizontally, the whole thing could, could work out that way. And, and the luxury consumers could, hey, as I like to say, Hamilton Jewelers here in Princeton would pay how much to get me there to walk in to buy stuff for my wife? You know, I mean, talk to me. So I think those are interesting niche cases. But if yeah. you're looking at scaling general affordability, you're a large OEM, you've cut, you, you've cut your dividend to preserve cash. You're in, you, you've furloughed and laid off employees. How are you gonna to continue to put a billion plus dollars a year there? To me, you're running into massive union political issues that you're, you're union, keeping all these. Union, well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking you manufacture these things, you put them out there, you buy them, you go there, you, do, you, know, you run them and you, you just generate cash. And, and you know, and and you and you generate the cash through scaling, but but there and and the thing that makes it run, the algorithms and the sensors and the and the things are serve both markets. And in fact, you could you know I don't know license it out to another. I think you keep you run them both. You you run the spectrum and and you become the mobility company. People pay for mobility. Look at how much each of us has paid because 90 whatever percent of us go out and buy cars and spend a whole heck of a lot of money. Why? Because we got a hell of a lot of mobility bank for the buck that we spent. And then, you know, all the other things that went with it and the, and the Ferrari cap and da, 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 you know? <laughs> Grayson, you let, let, me, the... let, me, let me ask you this, Grayson. <laughs> there, there's, you're down in Florida and you're seeing it there and elsewhere around the country, there is this pent up demand among a lot of people for life to go back to being almost exactly the way it was. And people are really wanting that. Why do you think there is going to be this long-term aversion to the idea of ride sharing? I think that you have, uh, ride sharing is that you have to get the consumer over the fear of getting sick. Over, 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 that's going to be one of the big fears. And, and some of the individuals with ride sharing compare it to airlines, but the airline owns or leases that, that plane. And they, you saw all the stuff where United announced the Clorox deal. They're very focused on cleaning. When you're in a ride sharing business, an Uber or Lyft, you don't own that vehicle. There's no way for you to guarantee that it's going to uh, be clean. Uh, John Kraftcheck, um, CEO of Waymo, went on CNBC this morning and said that Waymo owns the fleet we'll be able to ensure that every vehicle is clean because of their partnership with AutoNation. There's no way for Uber or for Lyft to decide that, you know, the vehicle is going to be clean into what hygiene standards. So Uber and Lyft disappear, big deal. They weren't here, you know, five <laughs> years ago, they're going to be gone, you know, two years from now. And in fact, in the end, if you actually look at how, how much market Uber and Lyft penetrated, it's, you know, basically 1%. They're a niche it was kind of nice when we had it and it was kind of neat to have it, but you know, in a sense uh, that, that thing can be replaced. Uh, uh, Waymo can go out and buy the vehicles, put the fleet, they can put a million, they could put a million vehicles out there on the road and, you know, wipe them out. Automated doing it. Talk to me. <laughs> so, so let's say Uber and Lyft go away. Yeah. How, how much of the blame does that, does, does the politician from San Diego County that introduced AB5 that 
has a very inappropriate Twitter account for an elected official with swearing at constituents and swearing at Elon Musk that authored AB5. Is that, does AB5 become the, the escape code? Uh, I guess so. I mean, I think there's still there will still be an Uber Lyft because simply because uh, of the of the um, uh, niche markets, both on the supply and demand side that it serves, and it, 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 whether it's it's Uber and Lyft, but it's not going to be sixty billion valuation scale to whatever and all the things that that, that were discussed. And in fact, a, a good number of people will still want to be probably chauffeured. And I guess the other sort of thing with respect to the cleaning of the vehicles, you know, when I was running this morning, I was thinking, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago or in my 55 Chevy, did I ever ever think that people would put airbags all around there, all around the inside of a vehicle to keep me from bouncing into the cigarette lighter or putting the the steering wheel through my chest or whatever that, that existed in that. And somehow they figured out how to do that. Uh, if all this sort of lighting and whatever that the New York City subway system is trying not to clean out and all that stuff, aren't they just going to put those things in cars and they're, you know, things going to get turned on and it's going to maybe if this is, if this remains, I mean, it will be an issue. Cleanliness will be an issue. It may not be COVID or something. Hopefully somebody's going to come up with, you know, some sort of shot that gives us a, so that I can't infect you and so on. Otherwise, you know, otherwise Darwin's going to come, has to come in here and get rid of all of us and bring in a whole new 7 billion of people in here. I don't, t- talk to me. <laughs> so the vaccine's an interesting debate because then you have the, you have, you have the, um, the anti-vaxxers that will, that will never get it and the people that, that will get it. But I just look at my biggest thing that I've said from day one about Uber and Lyft is a lack of consistency in product. And I still think that's going to be their, their Achilles heel. And, and if you, and I don't think that we know where Uber is going tomorrow. Uh, three and a half, four months ago, Jim Cramer's on CNBC screaming and ranting and raving about how Dara doesn't know how to be a CEO. He has to sell Uber Eats. It's, it's dragging down performances. Ride sharing is going, well, boy, does Dara look good now that he didn't listen to that advice and he, and he, and he kept Uber Eats and now he's buying Grubhub. So, where, so where, does Uber, where does Uber go next? And I don't think it's ride sharing. I think Uber is such a valuable platform that there's something else that the team inside of Uber will figure out that you can put on top of that that will start generating money. Does Uber go, I'll throw out a curveball to you. Does Uber go all in on grocery delivery, cut a deal with say Walmart and you saw Doug McMillan uh, this week came out and talked about Walmart's top line growth on grocery. Did they start becoming a delivery service for the Walmarts and the, the Kroger's of the world to kind of more compete with Amazon? Um, maybe, but uh, I think doesn't Amazon just uh, just really continue to ride the wave of that and be there? They're first and they're the leaders. Uh, the platform of Uber, I mean, how trivial is that to, to replicate? I mean, it's, I always thought that the key asset that, that Uber and Lyft had were, were the fundamental capabilities of managing cats, managing, you know, people that don't work for you and getting them to produce at least something reasonable. I mean, that is, that is an expertise that, that, that may be the real beauty of their, of their app, that, that through that app, they're able to at least get something out of what would normally be thought of as a, as a production workforce that, uh, that is totally unmanageable. So, I mean, that, 
that's kind of the way I've been sort of coming at the thing. But, you know, what the heck do I know? I'm sitting here in Princeton, you know. Well, the, these staggering unemployment <laughs> numbers that we're seeing now, yeah. uh, Alan and, and Grayson, that's going to come into play. The number of people who are going to need a job with something like an Uber or, or Lyft. And not only that, how many people, if we're talking about the, the car industry, how many people are not going to be able to make car payments, insurance payments in this environment for, I don't know how many more months to come. When, when, when the money runs out from the government and individuals have to, I look at when the unemployment benefits run out, when the car companies and especially the finance arms have extended generous credit terms, some 72 months without payments. When that money comes due, I want to see that. I want to see what's going to happen when the, uh, the PPP money runs out. And then furthermore, I want to see come July, August, uh, the companies that have furloughed hundreds of thousands of employees, do they start rehiring? Do they hire back all those employees or do they permanently lay off those employees? And if they permanently lay off those employees, do they go into the gig economy? And then if they do go into the gig economy, do we see Congress or the Senate try and take up some gig workers bill of rights or something? And those are things that we're really in uncharted territory and we really need to see what happens when these larger corporations open. So Disney, for example, they furloughed over 100,000 people. Walt Disney World in Orlando still closed. Uh, Bob Chapek, the new CEO of Disney, is saying that we're going to open initially at 20% capacity. How are you going to hire back all those employees if you're only going to operate Disney World at 20% capacity? And what is your timeline to going back to Disney World to 100% capacity? And then what is your timeline for rehiring those individuals? And furthermore, Will you keep the healthcare benefits for those individuals if they're in that queue waiting to get hired back as you start to bring on capacity? There's just a lot of uncertain questions that we have to answer as we go into the future. We don't have data to, data to point to. Um, we can point to the fact that 71.6% um, of Americans can come up with $2,000 now um, for an unforeseen event, which is the highest since 2015. So, but that $2,000 will only last you so long. So what happens when all the all the benefits run out. That's what I really want to yeah, say. But what's their visa credit card bill right now? Well, and yeah. how much are, and how much are they paying it? Who knows? Twenty percent interest rates, or who knows what the heck that that darn thing is? And, 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 and how the, recent are the figures? And, and, and too, how recent are the figures? Everything I mean, changed look, almost overnight. Look, the, the yeah. fundamental with economy, money has to be in motion. Okay, because that's the only way an economy survives is if I spend money, it goes to you, goes through your hands, you get it, you spend it, Fred gets it, he spends it. With that. In the last six weeks, eight weeks, frozen, nobody's moving. The money's not moving, nothing. money not in motion. And how you get that in motion, whether it's going back to the movies, although I guess people are, I mean, we spent a lot on Amazon Prime Video watching movies at home. I don't know what anybody else is. That's what we're doing. But we're not going out to dinner. We're not buying, you know, whatever. There's no money in motion. How we? How do we get that money in motion again? And uh, to me, that's the trick. Go ahead. So money in motion is interesting. If you look at Schwab, you look at T TD Ameritrade and interactive brokers and I don't know if it's on my head, but there, there's been massive inflows into these consumer trading and volume is, is going up. And so a lot of the stimulus money is going into the stock market. When individuals can travel again and all those large inflows into the Schwabs and the Fidelities and the TDs, 
does that money flow out? And then does that money go into start? Well, I can go to a restaurant now. Does that money come out of there and go to a restaurant? So I want to watch that. We don't have the data yet, but I want to see that's really interesting. And then some analysts are saying, well, that's because there's no sports to bet on. So they're like, oh, we're just going to go bet on stocks and we're going to play options. So does that come out of that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, those are all those are all the fundamentally interesting questions, and you know, one of the reasons why maybe the market hasn't been hit even a lot worse than, than it's been than it's been hit up to this point. While it, while it's somewhat stable, is because people aren't going out to uh, they may they might be going take, getting takeout at McDonald's, but they're they're not going to the high end restaurants and sitting there for an hour and a half paying you know a hundred bucks or more or two hundred bucks a plate. Uh, because there's nobody sitting anybody down and even opening. It's interesting you said it about McDonald's. And so there's an individual I know in, in, the, in the franchise restaurant business. And their cost to carry a dining room are one of the largest costs of the, of the entire operation. Do we see, let's call it a McDonald's 2.0, a Starbucks 2.0 that is built around uh, pick up and go. And then they're reducing their cost of that, that dining experience because if you go into it be you know six months ago a year ago you go into starbucks and you see individuals sitting there and the sofas and the tables with one cup of coffee and they're not they're not spending money the starbucks start in mcdonald's they start to remove their dining rooms to focus on a a, a grab and go model and then it, when they do start that grab and grow do they start to their do their margins start to grow and do we see a revival of the the, the drive-through window and then do we start to see if, uh, traditional McDonald's, you walk in, your dining room's to one side, your your counter's to another side. Do we see um, in a McDonald's 2.0 where you you walk in, you have your your counter with your grab and go and and contactless payment, which I like to talk about as we go into this conversation more. And then on the other side of that building, do you have it just based on the pure delivery? So the neuros of the world, they can come in and that you can put it in there and boom, and away you go. Margins go up. Do you? What do you think of that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Of course, margins go up, and and your certainly your rents go down, because now now you can do it as a storefront. So, in fact, you know, or it's you know, it's all it's almost a halfway to to an Amazon model. Okay. You know, I mean, in in the way that we had gotten, let's say, you know, thirty years ago, in which you had to go to a store and sit there and be be draped and taken care of and so on. Of course, we're doing all this ourselves. We're going in. We're da, 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 da. think of all the overhead that's been taken out of the systems, and then to take it a little bit different direction, you know, the announcement by by, uh, by Facebook that because of maybe the success that they've seen uh, in terms of the productivity of their employees working at home, it must be based on the, the data that they're saying. Why the hell are we paying the rents? Okay, why are we? And if if that goes to Goldmine Sachs, or you know, and they say we're not going to bring X thousands of people down to Wall Street every day, as I like to say, on the and suffer through New Jersey Transit, Metro North, Long Island Railroad to get these people there. Uh, what happens to the rents in New York City? I mean, what happens to our thoughts of the, the smart city of the world being nothing but towers and we're going to bring everybody in towers to, to, to what, be on computers like we are today? We're, we're, we're doing just fine, thank you, just sitting here, you know, spread across the globe. <laughs> 
Talk to you, me. <laughs> so you're, you're, right, you're right about rents. And the one market, I haven't really studied the New York market in terms of both from a commercial real estate perspective and from a, uh, an individual, just in, an average renter perspective. The one that I'm really looking at and with the Facebook is interesting. Do we see an outflow? And there's been some rumblings, but there hasn't been any concrete data. An outflow of companies and individuals from San Francisco to, say, Austin, to Dallas, to Phoenix, where you get a $6,000 a month in San Francisco, get you a studio, $6,000 a month in the suburb of Dallas or Austin, get you a pretty decent, nice house. And with Facebook allowing them to work remote, do we see this big outflow where if you talk to a lot of individuals, they don't necessarily want to live in They're living there because that's where the job is. Yeah, no, I mean, all of a sudden, it's, but it's not just the Austins, it's the Daytons, it's the Peorias, it's the, it's the Princetons, it's the Villages. So all of a sudden, you know, instead of us discussing smart cities, we need to be discussing smart villages, smart communities, and, and, and that kind of structure, because, because to pack everybody in, into small areas why hey it's a great real estate play for the real estate and two for the those that have high capacity sort of traditional uh, mobility systems it's you know you just put a subway between them but it doesn't it doesn't seem do you live in a high rise doesn't look like you're in a high rise there no. okay no we're not i don't live in a high rise either i who wants to live in a high rise what to get the view I don't know. Uh, I talk to me. <laughs> so, so you look at a high rise and then you know, some of them are not being built. You have the skeletons, you have individuals that are actively trying to sell it, especially if you look around 57th between six and seven, the 58th between six and seventh in Manhattan. A lot of those are just sitting there as, as empty shells. It was a lot of foreign money that just parked it there. Who's going to buy them going? now? I mean, the only reason anybody bought them is so they wouldn't have to take the Long Island Railroad, Metro North, or New Jersey Transit to get to get to Wall Street. But if they don't, if they're not going to Wall Street anymore, they might as well just live out in the Hamptons where they have their other house or their Dasha, you know, up in uh, you know up along the Hudson or something. And and in a sense, uh, I mean, if I I don't know. Uh, the, the the center city real estate market to me, uh, but what do I know? I buy I buy high sell low, <laughs> so I know <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> uh, on that note, Alan, uh, it's a good time to remind our our audience about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. Uh, on a personal note, when you get to the website, read the white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution under the Insights and News tab. The information there can help you make informed decisions so you don't buy, never mind. <laughs> ETFs can be a smart way to spread risk with your investments and focus on a particular category. Uh, the site again is MOTOETF.com. Alan, getting to some of the headlines in the latest Smart Driving Car newsletter. The National Safety Council is reporting that the motor vehicle fatality rates jumped 14% in March, despite this quarantine. Discouraging, yeah, well, discouraging and unexpected, I suppose. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it is the rate, okay? So it's the rate per vehicle mile traveled that jumped up. But that is a substantial jump, okay? And so basically, if... 
if you're in the policy uh, area and uh, your main objective is safety, uh, my goodness, uh, this has been, you know, one of the, the things, uh, what the heck's going on here? Uh, we should get back to congestion because congestion is great. We shouldn't be trying to get rid of congestion because uh, apparently with no congestion, people are, are being going nuts or something. I, I don't know. It's, a, it's just very interesting and uh, somewhat counterintuitive. Don't think this is really what we saw with the downturn in travel in 2008. Okay, there was a, there was a slight increase, but but not at this magnitude. This is a big number, so uh, one has to look and see. But there's been a big change, or at least certainly around here in Jersey, there's been a big change. Maybe you know I don't see the rest of the nation, and I don't watch the news, so because uh, yeah, whatever. Um, uh, Grayson, any thoughts on that one? How much do you attribute to stress and distracted driving where people are worried about, can I make my mortgage? Can I you know, afford the school? Like to me, it seems that this is such a stressful time and there's nothing in really history unless you go back to the Spanish flu to, to look at where the consumers are just so worried about their, their livelihood. Can I put food on my table? You think that's causing some of this where their mind is one place while, the, while they're driving? Maybe, or maybe they're they're texting more when they're driving because there are fewer people out there, and therefore they, you know, they just run off the road. I think one has to. Looks like the severity of the crashes have been greater, and with greater severity, you get greater deaths. Okay, and be, and the question is, what would lead to greater severity is really run off the roads or really higher, bad. higher speeds you know, yeah. higher speeds are really bad even though there's no place for you to go what what is everybody sort of, sort of rushing for and and the the vmt reduction numbers i'm surprised they're as little as they are and i guess at some point one, one will have to look at, at basically um, uh, fuel consumption and see what the gasoline consumption has been sales uh, over these last two months and so on, because that's the direct proportionality in terms of vehicle miles traveled is, is re and that, that's a good number. That's a number that, that, that is, uh, that is well measured. Why? Because, because that number is taxed because, you know, that's, that's because that the, the, the fuel tax is collected at, at the, at the wholesale level or at the distributor level. And so th that is a, to me, a very reliable measure as opposed to, you know, trying to do an integration over NRIC's data. I mean, you could do an integration over NRIC's data, but, uh, but uh, the, this, the stable representation comes out of the, the, the uh, gas tax reporting systems. So, um, uh, I don't know, it, but it's 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 interesting. And uh, and it's something else, Grayson. Yeah, so I, I, I'm looking at a couple things. So if you look at the data coming out of refineries from, from Marathon Petroleum of Leo, they're increasing capacity and the refining. Um, it's unfortunate AAA this year is not going to publish their Memorial Day traffic. I want to see: do we see a pretty significant upswing in Memorial Day traffic uh, than we would normally see? during COVID. I think that consumers are going to want to get out. They're going to want to stretch their legs. They're going to go to friends' houses. They're going to go to state parks. They're going to go to state beaches. Just don't go to New York. We'll saw what the Blasio will do to you. And they're going to, <laughs> they'll come after you with a hook, get out. Um, those miles will see a pretty significant uptick over Memorial Day. And then as the, con the consumer gets out, 
and they're and over Memorial Day and they're they're spending money in the grocery store and they're barbecuing. Do we see vehicle miles travel where Memorial Day is kind of that catalyst that just shoots us and then we start to go back to a, a lot higher number of, of cars on the road? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, Elizabeth and I have been going out for drives every once in a while, uh, while it, you know, in the evening, which we don't do normally. So in in some sense, I don't know if we're, con we don't we don't go that far, but we may actually have increased our, our miles driven uh, within this because that's about the only entertainment one gets is uh, just going driving around. But the, 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 the going to work and back, which is the one of the big components of driving besides going to groceries and going to get your hair done and and doing the, the going to the library and going to church or synagogue or those kinds of things you know uh, the the going to work business is is um, is i guess kind of the key so um, i don't know we're going into the summer and summer camps are opening around the country so parents are going to drive their kid to and from summer camp. I just don't know. What they, I mean, here are. in New Jersey, man, we, uh, we just got foursomes on, on the golf course. Although who wants to, who wants to do something for old white guys? I mean, you know, that's uh, whatever. We have a couple of other headlines that we want to touch on too, Alan. Uh, VentureBeat is reporting that Waymo is using vectors to predict pedestrian, cyclist, and driver behavior. It's an AI model they're calling VectorNet. And you had some questions in the newsletter about that. Well, I don't know. I think that that's where they were before they went to, to deep learning neural networks is looking at, at vector data in terms of uh, 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 advancing that and so on. I put some comments in there about uh, whether or not you need a high definition maps and so on and so forth. And I think this is all realization that maybe a little bit of the AI kind of swung the, the, the pendulums going too far one way than the other way. Uh, you know, uh, vectors, are, uh, digital maps are in fact vector maps and not raster maps and so on and whatever. Uh, some, a lot of details there. Also at Waymo, uh, Debbie Hersman is stepping down as the chief sa safety officer. Uh, wasn't there all that long. Uh, she'll remain as a, as a consultant with the company. Well, I think, you know, um, as I like to say, the, uh, whoever's in charge of safety in, in, at Waymo has done a darn good job, okay? Because if you look at the data, at what the results is, they've been safe, I think. It's a darn good thing because if they hadn't been safe, then we wouldn't be where we are. And uh, again, safety is the absolutely most critical thing going and uh, and uh, they have to make sure this stuff works and it works well and uh, and it looks like uh, so far it is so um, um, best of luck with her but uh, good job and carry forward. Electric is reporting that Tesla is installing more production robots at its Fremont factory to increase capacity there. I thought they were leaving Fremont. The, the well, articles no, they're re trying to reopen <laughs> who knows i mean uh i guess it's that was a threat but yeah the art the article speculates that tesla could reach an overall annual production capacity of a million vehicles by the end of next year around the world i mean it looks like i mean every every time you look in in the aerial photographs of the various plants they have around the world they're either you know building more or whatever uh yeah and it looks like um looks like they're doing it and people are buying it um uh, congratulations 
The SAE is involved in recommending the use of standardized names for advanced driver assistance features, ADAS, uh, to reduce confusion, they say. But the list is not meant to replace automaker proprietary system or package names. Uh, can they have it both ways, Alan? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, as, as Grayson knows, I've been complaining about the whole naming systems and all this stuff uh, for some time and, and uh, to try to, to avoid confusion. I mean, if there's going to be one set of names that the OEMs use and another set of names that I don't know, who knows who uses, um, uh, we need translations, and 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 it's it's really important because these these systems uh, are, are really focused on safety, and and what one really needs to know is what their performance is, and how good are they, and where when where have they been designed to work and not work? Okay, are they really uh, going to avoid uh, collisions that are under 12 miles an hour or whatever, so on and so forth. We have all these great measures with respect to horsepower and fuel consumption and torque. Uh, on the safety side, who knows? Uh, you know, some people wait until the absolute last, last second to be able to initiate automated emergency war uh, braking, and it doesn't work if an object is stationary in front of you. And who knows what other conditions and constraints are involved in the in the code that goes in there? So uh, yes, this will help avoid a lot of the confusion. The VIN of a car doesn't describe the safety features that are in the car. So you can't go to the VIN, it'll describe what kind of engine and the kind of other stuff and whatever that's in there. But I, anyway. Um, Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense though. Well, you know, safety has been sort of a two-edged sword forever because it was not unsafe at any speed until Ralph Nader showed up, you know? And 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 and, it, and, and the, the the folks making it didn't want to make it seem as an unsafe because if people had the perception that this thing's unsafe, they wouldn't buy it. So of course it had to be thought of of, of safe, and and the, the giving in to the fact that they have to put something in there to make it safe. I mean, look at the how tough it was to get an airbag into a car. GM had the capability, you know, when and didn't do it. You know, it took took Mercedes to put it in the, into the steering wheel and say, you know, maybe some consumers might want to buy it and Chrysler to actually come out of bankruptcy. And the way out of bankruptcy was by putting a, a, a an airbag into a, into a steering wheel. So it just went, you know, Anyway, I don't know. Whatever, it's 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 tough, and and of course we want to make it safe, and uh, absolutely, and that, that that is the main criteria, and the criteria, uh, and and you don't need to make it automated. Take the driver on, driver as we've we've said many times, driver is really good, really good. What's going to happen over some of the time? <laughs> Every once in a while we flake out and. We misbehave and then we go in the complete toilet on the thing. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. But when we're concentrating and we're out there and we're doing it and we're, and we're careful, man, no computer is going to beat us. 
it's interesting you said that. So the Governor Highway uh, Highway Safety Association came out this week and said that they're concerned because your average individual has not driven very much over the last two months, and they're concerned that they're going to need practice to ramp up to to get there. Any thoughts on that? I don't know. I haven't ridden a bicycle in a long time. I can get on that bicycle and and and, and ride it. That is that is like I mean you know uh, I I I um, my wife tends to ride shotgun, okay, and I drive. Does that mean that you know her capabilities of driving have somehow? I, 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 I Come on, are we that? Do we forget that quickly? I mean, uh, 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 you tell me. I mean, uh, uh, you think I think some individuals are just so overwhelmed with stress that they're not they're they're not going to be in in tune. Yeah, there are some people that are absolutely. This thing is really bad. Okay, and some people out there will do some probably things that they wish that they wouldn't have done. Okay, no doubt about it. And uh, you can just look at liquor sales as uh, to so the amount of alcohol that is being consumed. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I don't know, maybe I haven't looked at the, at the right numbers that combine, you know, what was sold in, in bars and restaurants plus what was sold at home and see what the combined is compared to the, you know, the one number, the only one number, which is retail sales now, apparently, or has been. And, but I think that, uh, that the, the consumption of alcohol has increased. Uh, not not good news, but I guess if you, if there's a bright spot to it, they're, they're more likely to be drinking at home. They are drinking at home, but then they go out, okay? And maybe they just go out to relieve stress or something like that, or who knows why they, they go out. But in a sense, uh, the, uh, the alcohol driving problem, I don't think has been solved. And I think if, if we would look at, at some of these, uh, these crash statistics associated with uh, what happened in, in March and April, and it'll be good to look back once the data are in and we can actually look at it as to what the alcohol related are, because I'm, I'm sure that I, I would suspect that the, the, the me- measurement mechanisms and the reporting mechanisms haven't really changed. So whatever good and bad is, uh, was associated with the recording, that's sort of constant through this. And we'll, we'll be able to see whether or not alcohol was, 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 uh, was a, a factor. So, um, uh, yeah, but, but you're absolutely right, Grace, and the, the, the stress on the ITU News Magazine is reporting some insights from the annual symposium on the future network car. Some good information there, Alan, and a launching point for the next Zoom Tank live debate. I, I hope so, or at least we're thinking about it, or at least uh, the connectivity of cars uh, is is part of what, what we're sort of looking to maybe have a little debate on and, and uh, sort of I, my interests are maybe to bring it out as to whether it, you know, 
what the, the political ramifications of such a thing are. Is it really, you know, sort of, uh, do we want uh, all the connectedness to be able to uh, control and monitor what people end up doing uh, with cars or is it really put in there to enhance the, uh, the riding around and, and the consumer attractiveness of vehicles? But uh, I'm stirring the pot to see if we can get a, a good debate going and get people really angry at me so that they'll tune in and <laughs> and watch i don't know but but we're, we're working on it that uh, it, it was an interesting uh, session uh, at the at the uh, geneva auto show which didn't take place but that the conference took place and i guess half of us were remote and half uh, were were there at that time uh, but uh, it's still an interesting question the whole connectivity piece and and what's motivating the connectivity piece uh, in these vehicles. And we want so, to tell the audience they yeah. should monitor zoom-tank.com to find out when that might happen. Yeah, we're maybe looking soon. maybe in two weeks, maybe in four weeks, we're sort of deciding. We, we had such good, such success with the first two. We're thinking, hey, why not, why not just do it? We had, a, we had a lot of fun and it seems like the audience, uh, I don't know, they probably got angry with us, but that's good. Nice to so have I'll stir, I'll yeah, stir the pot a little more for you. Good, the connectivity good. to a car becomes a content pipe. That, that's yeah. that's what it becomes at the end of the day. It's not they're not putting it in there for safety. They're putting it in there to cut a deal with a media company to pipe content into the vehicle. Well, that's what I think too. Okay, uh, but I don't think necessarily think that that's what Washington's been thinking about or what other people. Been, why put in the infrastructure? Why why do you want municipalities to put in infrastructure to do any of this stuff? Now there are a bunch of people who are selling that infrastructure who would like to get the revenue flow out of that, of course, and have somebody to pay for it, which is the government, which is easy to get or, or used to be easy. Government, I mean, how much printing are they going to be able to do? Never mind. Uh, but whatever. Um, and and uh, but and then the, the whole other question is is who's really motivating the the information, the, the gathering that's going on with this thing. And is it information gathering meant to control or not to control? Okay. And, uh, you know, and that gets ugly real quickly. And don't forget, AT&T owns Warner Brothers. <laughs> and there you go. I mean, look, hey, but actually as a, as a content, of course, I mean, it's always been sort of known that, you know, Waymo, do they really, would they really have to charge uh, for a ride? You're a captive audience to them. They can pipe, they, they can reach into your pocket while you're riding in that and take basically all the money out of your wallet. What an opportunity. I mean. So speaking of reaching into your, your wallet when you're driving in Waymo, I think about a certain topic all the time as it relates to Waymo. You and, and their complete driverless program with, with no safety driver. Yeah. You put in a in a a an abbrevi a person that is drunk in the vehicle. Yeah. What is to stop them from messing with the steering wheel and trying to take control? How do they get over that? Do they put like an airline door? What do they put to stop there when you're full driverless to stop somebody from going up there to mess with the pedals, mess with the wheel? Well, they they can they, they can disengage the pedals and the wheels. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like when you, when you go, when you put your child in one of those things in the grocery store, you know, that, that looks like a car, the kids like turn the steering wheel. It doesn't turn the, the, the grocery cart. So You'd be surprised how strong drunk people can get. 
No, but they're just disconnected. And it can be disabled one, remotely. They're yeah. watching you. Yeah. Well, that opens they're, up the privacy debate, which is an interesting. But of course, debate. they're watching you. Every time you get in an elevator, you're being watched. And again, my elevator analogy. That's when I love to kiss my wife. You know. <laughs> you know. But I, whatever. You know. They're, they're, of course, you, you think you're not going to be watched in there. Of course you, you go are. in a bus today, there are cameras all over the place. Why? Of course. Walk so in a sense, I, you know, it, I mean, so. we have to deal with this. We have to, you know, and so on. But, but, and if you start misbehaving, thing either pulls over, locks down, takes it directly to the police station, whatever. I mean, I, and if you're drunk, I, hey, they probably have sensors in there that determine it. They don't let you in the door. Look, there, there's there's got to be a there, there's got to be some sort of quid pro quo of behavior with these things. It, it's really important in the community that these vehicles be accepted by the community, because if they're not accepted by the community and not respected, one, it'll be so easy to trash them. Two, the, nobody will go in there and provide you with service. So, so the key, probably more than the technological aspects of this thing, the key to, to the to the to to their success is is the is the the welcoming and engagement and 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 partnership with the community that it serves. So you can build overall trust with the community, but every community is always going to have a bad actor and if some if that bad actor plays with the wheel and put in a video goes viral from a policy standpoint you've got a lot of questions to ask you've explained the technological but how do you get over that hurdle from a policy standpoint trying to educate a lawmaker that it poses no danger to the constituents when this video racks up a million views well be, uh, yeah i don't know i mean most of those videos are are, are made up anyway by somebody who who wants to put that out or at least that's that's what i've claimed with respect to all the videos that have come out with tesla drivers sleeping while they're going down the 405 in in california i mean you know uh, really if you go buy a car and you see the driver sleeping on what are you going to do just sit there and watch take a picture and then take off i mean what are you going to do your 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 public spirit and this is going to try to wake that driver up or or help or, or somehow uh, you know come in front of the vehicle to slow it down or something like that uh, to try to save people around you like 98 percent of the population would do that okay yeah there are two percent whatever uh you know you can't do things for everybody right <laughs> no, that's good true i mean and tesla's highly polarized brand yeah and, uh, <laughs> you you either love it or you hate it there's there's right. no in between Abs but those videos the videos get picked up by the by the mainstream media. They get picked up by policymakers, and they start asking questions. That's my big concern, uh, yeah. you know, with the current iteration of the Waymo vehicle. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I agree, and I I don't know. I guess one has to educate the 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 the, the politician or the the, the policymaker and say, you know. Um, you got to look beyond this and, and we know, uh, you know, you can use, you have an ax that you're trying to grind. If you want to use this to grind the ax one way, you'll use it. What can I do about it? I, you know, I mean, this is part of the problem we're facing with, with the COVID-19 stuff. You know, it, it, 
everybody has an ax and they're grinding it using COVID-19. And so it, all this stuff gets pushed one way, another way, biased here, biased there. Uh, that's what makes it tough. Uh, and know. that leads us to one more item from the newsletter, Alan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the, no. the, the MIT Technology Review this week ran a piece titled How Coronavirus is Accelerating a Future with Autonomous Vehicles. But uh, as you point out, make sure you read the part that labels it sponsored content provided by Baidu. Yeah, well, it doesn't say sponsored content, but it is from Baidu. I don't know. I guess I, I like to... Uh, it is. It in it my, is. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's fine. I mean, they should at least. Um, yes, it'd be nice to it'd be nice to really know what's going on in, in China and so on. Uh, uh, we can take a look at it and, and whatever. But um, as we kind of know, um, my goodness, um, uh, it doesn't seem to be complete um, uh, visibility into that. Uh, <laughs> And, and to what's going on there? Great! I'm glad they're they're, they're doing wonderful things, but but darn it, um, you know, MIT Technology Review should at least, you know, say that the, the, this is a uh, paid it, and paid for. Well, it does say, it does say sponsored content. It is labeled uh, that, that way. Oh, it so is we, labeled we, there. I guess I didn't acknowledge that. So. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition. Thanks to our sponsor, the Smart ETF, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. And for more information, head to MOTOETF.com. We want to thank Grayson Brulte for joining us again today. Really appreciate it, Grayson. Great, great content. Oh, thanks, Fred. Thanks for having me on. Alan, it's, it's always great to uh, converse on this topic. So thank you as well. Yeah, and thank you, Grayson. Thank you for being here. Lovely having you and, um, and a lot of good information. I think um, a lot of insights you provided. Thank you. Where's the best place for people to go to, to follow all that you're doing? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at G-B-R-U-L-T-E and the same handle as well on Instagram at G-B-R-U-L-T-E. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and more. You can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. And don't forget to go to zoom-tank.com. You can watch the last debate, live debate from this past Monday, the one before that too, and keep tabs on what's coming up. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening or watching, and stay healthy.